Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Today we're going to talk about the Silicon Valley bank debacle and we are going to discuss bare minimum Mondays. Our top five is top five crime movies um, that are not mob related. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and they do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 81 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. So a little this day in history. Mm. Today is March 15th. Ironically, kind of tied to our top five, but unrelated to our top five. March 15th, 1972, The Godfather was released. The movie The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola. But more importantly, it's called The Ides of March. Do you guys have any idea why it's called The Ides of March? Caesar, Brutus, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they call it that, (laughs) but it really, it only has to do with like the Ides were the times like the full moon fell on the 15th of the month. Oh. And that only happens in March, May, July, and October. And then since the Shakespeare play and Brutus and Caesar, it's been like kind of connotated that the eyes of March is like a really like bad omen kind of day. And it's your birthday. And it's my birthday. <laughs> Did not know that. That's a fun fact. There's a fun fact <laughs> with me. <laughs> okay. That was a, a lot of facts. Lot of information? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nobody seemed too moved by this day in history, so I guess I won't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for sports? I mean, the Sixers are playing well. Joe's playing awesome, but, I mean, we don't have to spend a ton of time on them. Flyers fired their GM. Who was their GM? Chuck Fletcher. Is that a big deal? I mean, it's a it's a step that they took that was kind of like, why did you wait so long? Okay. Um, he did nothing at the trade deadline, which the whole league was kind of scratching their heads. Like, you can do some stuff to at least get some mid-round draft picks or whatever. He did not really literally almost nothing and um, kind of self-admitted that he's done a shitty job. And then they, they pulled the trigger. I guess the only surprise was, I think, Probably was expected to be an off-season move, but they just decided to do it now. Um, it looks like Danny Briere will be the the new GM, even though they haven't put him in that role. He's an interim right now, but he'll probably be the guy. Chuck Fletcher? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you put that in a multiple-choice question, I would have got it wrong. Who was the GM before him? Like Hextall? Wasn't Hextall in there? There's been a bunch and that you probably wouldn't even recognize the names either, but he Fletcher is the son of Cliff Fletcher, who wow. was a GM in like Calgary and other teams, and he was like successful. So they, a lot of people are just like eh, the son of the GM got the job, and he really doesn't know what he's doing and all that. But um, he's part of the problem for sure. But there's just so much more to do that has nothing to do with the GM. Has to do with the the roster. Is Danny Briere in the organization now? Yeah, he was like, um, I don't know what his title was, but he was doing some work for the team. 
he was kind of, I think, assumed to be waiting in the wings for this. Um, it's it's news. It's the only news going on. Oh, but uh, they're also fifth from the bottom right now. They've gone on a little bit of a slide, even worse than they have been. So they've dropped some spots. They're, they're, they're like sniffing at a possible like lottery pick. Wow. And if they continue to... And, and doing worse than the bottom four or five teams in this league right now is hard to do because they all lose every night. But you never know. They could end up getting a player. So that would be good. Where do they need to be to have a decent chance of getting a player? Top three. Bottom three. Top three picks. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in the bottom three, you have a legitimate chance to get that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're rooting for them to lose now. 100%. Okay. Yep. And they're playing. Their schedule's kind of tough. They're playing teams that are in the mix, so they're gonna. And and they have, you know, they're bringing up young guys to take a look at them. So so hopefully they'll keep losing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> That's Meg, good I'm, news on the Flyers front. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't want to dig into Joe's play lately and maybe take it a step further to have like a little discussion around MVP status with him. It just feels unnecessary as well as he's playing um the discourse around the mvp conversation is is kind of annoying to me at this point um i think he should have gotten it last year and he continues to put up staggering numbers he leads the league in scoring he's um on both sides of the floor more impactful than than most if not all players in the league. I just feel like he continues to do what he's supposed to do and just it won't happen. So I, I've i stopped like maybe caring about it. I know I, it's been a while. They played the Bucks on March 4th. Mm-hmm. So like 10, 10 or 11 days ago. <clears throat> Mike, you saw that game, right? <laughs> missed it. Missed it, Jeff. They were down what, like 15? Maybe yeah. a little closer to 20? Yeah. They come back. And Joel hits like a step back, not a three-pointer, but a step back like 18-footer to win the game with like 1.1 seconds. I mean, I think the Bucks got a shot off, but it wasn't even. Close. I mean, it was such a good play. It was such a good win. Again, his, his mopiness kind of still hangs on me, and I can't move, look past it. But, I mean, he, when he wants to be good, he's so good. I think he's proven, like, game in and game out this season that he wants to be good. I mean, when was the last time you, like, you didn't say, wow, Joe had a night? Like, I I saw a stat today. He's the only person in MVP running whose team hasn't gone on a four-game losing streak this season. Like, he's carried them. Now, James Harden's played awesome this year. Like, they've gotten a lot of support from their cast, which they have to to compete. But, like, he is the best player in the Eastern Conference. The only really competition at this point is Jokic out in Denver. And he's a two-time – I mean, they're, they're going to give it to him again. It's just the way the – I don't know if it's the media. I don't, I don't know what it is, but he doesn't get the love he deserves. And I know I'm a biased homer, but – No, I agree with it. I agree with you 100%. I mean, just watching him more this year, a lot of the mo- – like he, has, he hasn't been as mopey. When things aren't going his way, maybe that's because he's been playing so well and yeah. they've been playing so well, so he hasn't really had the chance to be mopey. Yeah. Um, and there's still a little – there's some stuff about his game. Like, 
in that Bucks game, like he's hanging out at like the three point line with like eight seconds left in the game. And I'm like, dude, get low. All we need is a bucket. Just get low. He doesn't get low, gets the ball, like sidestep, step back. And I'm like, no, I'm screaming no. And then he drains it. Mm-hmm. Like the, what he does is he's like a, just a, like a large AI. Like it's crazy that he yeah. can handle the ball the way he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me as a fan, obviously like their success is more important than the individual accolades. So if, if he doesn't get the MVP, but they get to an Eastern conference final, like I'll take that every season. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think they get there this year? I, I don't know, dude, the way they're playing right now, if you would have asked me six weeks ago, I would have said no, but like they've proven to be a legit matchup problem for the bucks who are the best team in the East. Boston's good, but they're not playing well right now. And I'm not saying that they won't play well come the playoffs, but like the Sixers tend to are, are trending in a good direction. Um, so I I definitely think it's way more realistic now than I did a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Obviously, that all hinges on health. Um, this is you know, the the tough part of the season. They just came home from a road trip that like could have broken them and they went five and one. I mean, they're yeah. doing everything that they should be at this point. So I'm optimistic. I would just if it ends up being another second round exit and Joe does is runner up in the MVP, like that's like almost the worst case scenario. Yeah, like how do, how do you think you'll handle that? I probably have to start getting myself like wrapping my brain around the fact that Joe's going to ask to go. Yeah. Which would be devastating because he's probably my favorite. In my like adult fandom, he's by far my favorite Sixer. So that was Interesting. Would you didn't say your favorite player. Hmm. LeBron's You're my favorite still player. still hooked on LeBron? <laughs> no, we got to talk about that one of these pods. Dude, get over him. Man. Okay. When there's another greatest of all time that comes along, I'll get over him. <laughs> It's like it's like I mean, rooting. I'll I'll even weigh in on that, but not not right now. It's like she's like rooting. It was like it would be like if I rooted for Michael Jordan when he played for the Wizards. Like, what are you talking about? What? That is a crazy comparison. LeBron at this age is not Michael Jordan, the Wizards. Right, but he's at the end of his career, and you have Joel Embiid. Like, how do you not consider Joe as your favorite player? If if the Sixers played the Lakers in the NBA championship, I am rooting for Joel Embiid. Start to finish. I mean, if if it ever came to matchups, I would never not root for Joe and the Sixers. Never. Um, they just haven't played long enough in the playoffs for me to have a rooting interest in in games or matchups against LeBron. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you want to get in the coach's corner? Sure. All right, so we're going to talk about Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. Um, what happened? And maybe what investors should understand or think about as far as protection moving forward. Yeah, so Silicon Valley Bank is a, a smallish kind of bank that was, it's been around for a while, but it's been kind of catering really to a clientele of um, sort of startup, techie, Silicon Valley type companies. It's in the name. Um, and so what they had done was, and the way the banks work generally is, you know, the deposits are there, the bank pays some 
small amount of interest on that to the customers. And then all that money, not all of it, but most of it gets is available to lend out as in the form of loans or to invest in the form of higher yielding securities, whatever the case may be. There are regulations that apply to the big giant banks, you know, the JP Morgans and the cities and the um, that the mega banks that are much more strict than those that apply to smaller and regional banks. And that's part of the issue. But um, and that that whole thing came out of the financial crisis of 0809. So the big banks that were the most systemically risky to the the overall economy and world um, were subject to much more strict requirements. That's one aspect. Secondly, meaning sorry to interrupt. Like, they like have to have how a much certain amount of money? How much you have to reserve yep. against what you're what you have, and restrictions on what you can do with your with your reserves, um, that sort of stuff. So, within the past several weeks or so, the banks started to realize that we didn't do a good job of um, investing our our reserves. They invested it in longer maturity treasury. They didn't invest in anything risky or fraudulent or exotic at all. It was just pure incompetence because what banks normally do is if they're investing in say longer dated bonds to get higher yields than what they're paying their depositors, that's the spread they earn, that's their profit. Um, But typically you want to hedge against interest rate moves and to avoid what happened here but when you hedge against it, you're you're minimizing or you're reducing profits. So this was a, a case, a, a lot of ways of greed. This is a publicly traded company. The stock was doing really well. The executive's primary form of compensation is the stock. And so they were, you know, there were incentives for them to not hedge and to mismanage the the risk of what they were doing. And and, and I'll say it again, like running a bank is as simple as that. Like you have deposits, you invest them in higher yielding things like loans or, or bonds, and you keep the spread, and then you go on to the next day and do it again. Well, they they forgot the risk management part of that. The other problem of, of, of this bank in particular is that its customers were largely companies, tech companies, and, and their, um, their founders and their investors are this predominantly community of Silicon Valley venture capital firms, private equity, what have you, well-connected, all know each other. Um, and when the the kind of the, I'll say news came out because the bank realized they had to raise some equity. So they, they filed up um, with the SEC to sell some stock, raise some eyebrows. People looked at their actual balance sheet and said, huh, this, this bank is, uh, is, is has to raise equity like they're 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 kind of they're kind of screwed unless they do that and they wouldn't have been screwed had the bank run not happened so i guess what i'm saying in that is it's a unique situation in that unlike wells fargo or some bank that we all bank at where it's a whole bunch of millions and millions of little mom and pop depositors this was a bank that was comprised mostly of corporations companies that had lots and lots of cash on deposit with it. So the $250,000 FDIC limit that almost no mom and pop investors would ever breach. Um, and, and and so that's known as uninsured deposits. Those deposits that are over that level um, are, not, are not covered by FDI insurance. There's a ton of that at this bank. So 
the run on the bank was all these people talking with one another like hey did you hear that uh sv uh svb is 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 gone take your money out and so they're within a couple of days they're all doing their best to get their money out of the bank and no matter whether it would be jp morgan chase or this bank when everybody shows up on the same day the bank is over. It's over. Right. So the run on the bank is was caused kind of by the makeup of their customers, um, mismanagement of the bank itself by the executives, and the fact that, um, well, well, that's the run on the bank part. The controversy comes in as it relates to the excess FDIC insurance because the government decided to come in and, and bail out all of the depositors. and Some individual who had $20 million dollars on deposit with the bank that normally would be on the hook for all but 250 of that was made whole. And so that, of course, is now uh, turned into a, a political uh, issue and a lot of debate on both sides as to whether that bailout, I'm using air quotes, was appropriate or not. I will say that the equity is zero. It's wiped out. So all the stockholders, including the executives, their their equity in the, in the bank is zero. Bondholders in, in the bank probably get cents on the dollar for theirs. The only ones made whole were the actual customers of the bank. Made whole by who? The government. By who? Like they, that, that comes from where? It ultimately comes from taxpayers, no matter what they're going to tell you, because when they're, they're trying to spin it as, well, we're going to impose some tighter regulations in the future on all banks. That will include fees that they're not paying today. Those fees are going to be the, the you know, the source of the funds for this bailout, quote unquote. Well, we all know what happens when a, a business has more fees imposed on it. It passes them on to its customers. So to me, that's silly for anyone to say that this is not a taxpayer-funded bailout. It is, but at the same time, remember, it's it's a pretty small situation. This isn't the failure of J.P. Morgan. Right. Um, this is a relatively minor bank. The issue, too, though, it's a spreading there's other regional, there's a whole network of regional and community banks that do this. And they're very profitable because, like I said earlier, the regulations are, are more lax so that they can do things to, to make money that the bigger banks can't. Well, that's over. Uh, and so that, I think, explains why the regional banks as a whole have been just absolutely decimated. So they're down 50, 60 percent, whatever the numbers are. Um I don't think that's so much because people worry that they're going to fail. I think it's because people realize they ain't making the money they used to. So right. they're not as profitable. So, I mean, this if, if the First Bank of Malvern mm -hmm. has 3,000 clients, people that have deposits there, mm -hmm. I mean, if 2,999 of them walked into the bank and said, we want all of our money, like they'd go out of business, right? I mean, it's it's not... They, in theory, would go out of business. The question, though, now is the precedent has been set. So when and if yeah. that happens next, what happens? The other thing I'll say is that in the vast majority of those kinds of banks, it's, it's no one has over $250,000 right. in there. And I don't, I don't mean no one, but very, very small fraction of the dollars are that. So the, the insured deposits are still insured. So you should not, if you're a... Um, a customer of a bank that has less than 250 in the bank, you should not be worried about your bank failing because you're going to get your money back. So the person who has 200 or $20 million in SVB, I mean, a pretty smart person, right? They have a lot of wealth. 
<laughs> now, now you're getting into another another subject, which is the community of VCs and and private equity people who think they're so smart because of like the, you the moron, amount of money they make. Only two fifties insured. Like, why would you have it there? Why would you have twenty million dollars in one bank? Like, you should lose it. I'm sorry. That's one of the arguments that a lot of people are making, and I, I gotta say it. Like, I don't, I don't feel bad for the for the hundred millionaire who lost $20 million because they kept $20 million in one stupid regional now, bank. The other argument against you, though, is that some of these deposits are businesses that employ hundreds of people, let's say, and they're, um, the business account is way more than 250000 in order to meet payroll and overhead and all that. Um, and so that business would be subject to potentially going out of business and then people lose jobs and yada, yada, yada. So Oh, well. I Maybe hear that you. person can take the other eighty million that they have somewhere else <laughs> and keep their business afloat and 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 keep their employees afloat. I just like just total. These people are supposed to be so smart and they're so stupid. I hate when people equate wealth to like intelligence. Well, there you're, is no there is no correlation. I I you're dead right, and I think that this is just another item that has happened in the news that is exposing incompetence and mistaking wealth for for brains and the fact that you know you had how many years of zero interest rates where you could borrow for nothing and invest in anything and make money and that happened in a grand scale across the landscape of private equity vc and and a, a lot of others and then the result is you get people who think they're they're so smart and and it extends even to these people who ran this bank and didn't think that Interest rates could go up and we could be, and, and the second part of that's really important, which is that our customers all talk to one another. This isn't scattered amongst a bunch of mom and pops that have five grand in their bank account that don't know what's going on. These people hear that we are potentially undercapitalized or we have losses on our, our, on our investment portfolio that cause everybody to just run on your bank. And that was like, Maybe the biggest risk for this particular bank that they ignored, and they they deserve everything they got. The the executives, that is. It's it's funny. It's like the story is always the same, and it's greed. It's greed. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's like in in oh seven oh eight when they started uh, lending money. Like they, like you said, banking is very simple, and once you start to deviate from the simplicity of the business model and start to do things that you really probably shouldn't just to earn a little bit more because you possibly see an opportunity, it usually ends poorly. Like 0708, we started lending money to people that could not qualify for mortgages, but we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until it collapsed. And it's the same storyline. And, and we were talking about this earlier. And Mike, you and I may have a different opinion on it. I'm very curious to get yours. Like we've received some, some communications from clients like, hey, should I be concerned about my money market funds at Vanguard that have X amount of dollars in it or my my deposits in, in, in my bank at TD Bank. And my response is, is it possible that those things can lose value? Yeah, it's possible, but I, I mean, I think it's highly unlikely. Well, they're two different things. The bank deposits are what, we're de what we were talking about. That's FDIC insurance on bank deposits. Yep. Money market funds are not. They're you have no concern over FDIC. As long as you keep it at 250 per registration, yep. you're totally fine. Yeah. It's 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 federally backed and we're we're all we're all cool with that. Yeah, and it's actually 500 grand if you have it jointly. Right. So, I mean, that's even better. 
And it's per institution. So if yeah, you own right. it, if yeah. you have two, if you happen to have that much money in bank accounts, you can diversify your like your risk if you choose to. Right. I just hate that I have to go to ten different banks all the time. Oh yeah, you have that much money <laughs> in cash. <laughs> but money market funds are real because they um. Talk to me about that. They're I, they're I mutual funds. We're, we're a little they're not they're not bank deposit. They're they're actually mutual funds, and they're. The accounting structure of money market funds is that they're invested. Well, first of all, they're invested in short-term assets like overnight loans and things like that. Like treasuries, treasuries, yeah, and corporate and and overnight corporate loans. So um, they're very short-term in nature, and they pay rates that or they pay interest that's comparable. Usually better than banks, obviously, but it's comparable to you know treasury bills or something along those lines, um, or maybe slightly better. The problem or the issue is that it's not none of it's guaranteed, and the accounting, the way the accounting works for money market funds is there. It's, it's a one dollar net asset value all the time. It's stable. It doesn't fluctuate, and the, the only way they've made that happen is just by an accounting method that operationally makes it a dollar per share, and then every month they pay you your your interest slash dividends, and away you go. There's the breaking the buck term means that when a money market funds assets don't add up to the dollar per share, um, and maybe it's 99 cents or 95 cents or whatever, and that's happened before, but that's happened because of um, not a not a run on money market funds. It's happened because of a counterparty failure. Like so, back to I think maybe the last time it happened was the 0708 time and Lehman Brothers was a counterparty, I believe, to the one fund who had a lot of short-term loans, overnight loans to it. Lehman Brothers goes, disappears in the middle of the night and there's a portion of the assets that are worth zero and it breaks the buck. I think, um, and honestly, I can't remember what the government, if, if they did anything to step in. I, I, I think the government would step in and do something in the event of a major like money market fund that broke the buck. And it would be temporary. Sound like it's gonna it's gonna go to ninety five cents a share, and you're never gonna get that back to a dollar a share. Well, no, in that case, it's not temporary. If you have a counterparty that defaults and they, and your money's gone, that you're getting it back. That's where you're saying the government would have to step in. Yeah, because think about it. It's it's an investment. It's a mutual fund, an ultra short term mutual fund that only invests in like, and and forget about the T bill stuff because that's that's different because that is not going to zero. But it's if if you lend money to a corporation overnight and then they disappear, yeah. then you're not getting it back. So that's a permanent so impairment. So I hold a money market mutual fund mm -hmm. and it drops to 95 cents a share. Well, that would be like- 90, 99 cents yeah. a share, sorry. I'm, I lost money and I'm never getting that money back. It's never gonna go back to $1 a share? Not unless they recover in like some sort of bankruptcy. Like not never, but it doesn't, there's no, I don't mean overnight, there's no reason but, it has to get back. It's basically like you invested, you lent to a counterparty that's not there anymore. It's not like the government. SVB is so different because they owned treasuries, right? It's not yeah. like that was just a time issue. If they waited until the bonds matured, everything had been fine, but people wanted their money like today. So if a client calls me and says, hey, should I be taking my money market funds and putting them in the various mm -hmm. banks to get FDIC insurance? I mean, I, I feel like that's, an unnecessary move. I agree. I hundred percent agree. And with what you. would what when when would when would your tune change? When would you say, "Yep, you should definitely be thinking about doing that"? Um, 
if my tune changed on that question, I think we have way bigger problems than a money, money market fund breaking the buck or a, like a major one or a series of big ones because then it's a then it's like some form of financial Armageddon going on. Right. That's way worse than we had before. So I'm and I don't live my life planning for that or worrying about it. Okay. So I don't know. Good explanation, man. Yeah. You did good. That's like complicated stuff. He almost lost me a few times, but I, st I stuck with it. <laughs> no, <laughs> when he said helpful. when he used the term counterparty, it kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. Are there are there considerations? I mean, we've talked about the FDIC level of insurance. Are there other things people should be thinking about when they do their banking in light of, of what we learned? Or is SVB small enough and unique enough and really only applicable to such a small group of people that it's like a, that'll very likely never be the masses. When you say when people do their banking, are you talking about people that have nowhere near 250 in cash that they're holding? No, and let's assume that 250 stays in place and everybody banking in, the, in, in that world is comfortable with it. But if there's a ultra, ultra conservative, right, person who doesn't want to own stocks or bonds and they all they keep is their money in cash. Right, and it's not two fifty; it's a million bucks. Is it spread your risk among four different banks? Is, is, I would, yeah, yeah. I would, okay. and I think we've said that to people in the past. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it's a little bit more of a hassle, but I mean, FDIC can be important, and yeah, it's been marketed to be important. Um, in this case, it wasn't, but right. this is a unique case, I think. So, um, I would say, yeah, that would be my advice: is just just spread it around. Use different registrations, max out your, like keep it all under keep it all under the insurance umbrella, and and yeah, and then yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. And then we mentioned earlier. I don't know if this is it's it's related, but SIPC insurance and that yeah. covers your investments that sit inside of a brokerage account at a broker dealer. That's everyone you can think of. It's Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, Merrill Lynch, whatever. So investments, not cash at a bank. They've been forever um, subject to similar insurance, but up to $500,000. The thing that's a little different there is that virtually every brokerage firm buys private insurance in, for amounts of, of, I think, twenty-five, fifty, even over $100 million. Um, so for anyone who's worried about what about my investments that are sitting in a, um, you know, a brokerage account somewhere and that broker dealer fails, well, that's happened many, many times, and all you do is you they transfer your accounts to another brokerage right, firm. Right. Nothing changes. You still hold the same stuff. Nobody ran off in the middle of the night with it, um, but that insurance is in place in the event that there's a um, like a failure. I mean, I know when Madoff when Madoff failed or went under, um, SIPC insurance did play a role in the recovery of some of those people's assets. Obviously, it wasn't all of it, but um, there's that. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, man. Cool. Anyway. Wow, pretty technical coaches <laughs> <Yeah>. corner. <laughs> Timely, though. Yeah. <clears throat> so do we want to move on to a far less technical discussion? Sure. <laughs> Have you guys heard of Bare Minimum Mondays? Not until I saw it on, on, on some feed. This article uh, is from Insider. It's written by Sarah Jackson. It's called, I do bare minimum Mondays at work to help beat the Sunday scaries and avoid burnout. It's totally changed my life and how I approach my job. Um, 
In an effort to curb Sunday scaries, TikTok creator Marissa Jo Mays has taken a somewhat unique approach to her Monday routine, doing the absolute bare minimum. She claims it's improved her work and quality of life dramatically, and it has now become somewhat of a viral <laughs> approach. I wish you guys could see Jeff and Mike. There is steam coming out of Mike's <laughs> ears right now. I, I, I mean, where do you start? TikTok creator? There's a red flag one. The fact that she's admitting that bare minimum Mondays is a thing. The fact that she's Sunday scaries is a thing. And that these are the articles that, again, these people write. Anyway, you guys have to go first on this one. <laughs> I, can't, I just can't. I mean, I wish it was easy enough to say, if you have Sunday scaries, you don't have the right job, right? But it's not its not that easy because, right. you know, 90% of the people out there don't love their work sure. and are just doing it to make a buck. But, but to be fair, I did read this article and when they were describing her Sunday scaries, um, it involved kids are at school tomorrow. I have to make dinner and I have to like plan the week and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so does everybody else. <laughs> Get not, over it. I'm not disagreeing. Um, so I wish it was easy enough to say like to find work that you you don't feel that way going into Monday. But that's that's just a part of human nature. I mean, everybody, a lot of people, I think a lot of people go into Sunday night and it's like, all right, back back to the grind on Monday. Yeah. Um, why don't you just structure your week differently so that Mondays aren't like I don't have meetings on Mondays for a reason. I don't want to just fly in on Monday morning and have a 9 a.m. meeting. You're saying you're a bare minimum Monday guy, Jeff? <laughs> I don't think I'm a bare minimum Monday guy, but I just, there's certain things I want to do on Mondays and certain things I don't want to do on Mondays. I like having Mondays to prepare for Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. I agree, and it's how I think about it too, but I think we're in a unique situation where we get to make that decision. Most people don't have that much control over their calendar or their work obligations um and that's where i feel like it's hard to say what you're saying yeah i think that in theory so when i first read the title i meant i, I interpret it like okay so she's encouraging people to go to work and just stare at your computer for eight hours and do nothing is that yeah. what she's saying no okay that's, that's the, how i interpret the name it needs some work And look, I'm not pro bare minimum Mondays, so don't anyone bite my head off. I think it's all about expectations. Like your day, whether it's Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Saturday, like what you expect of yourself or what is expected of you should not in a, I think, a perfect world constantly cause anxiety. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it it comes down to the different industries and how would you structure it, right? Like so if I'm a dentist – I don't want to come in on Monday and have, you know, 10 appointments from nine to six cleaning teeth, yeah. checking people. Maybe Mondays are lighter so that and then you ramp up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a light day on Friday. Um, if you're working a machinery and you're polishing rotor pads or whatever the heck they do, <laughs> like you don't have that luxury. You show up and you're. Clean and brake pads from nine to five until you go home Monday. But I don't know how effective that is because that's going to make, if I'm that guy working there, I mean, I'm not going to change the system, but I would love to go to my boss, man, can we like do something different on Monday? So I'm not, I'm not fried 
yeah. on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But that's not the way it works. If you don't want to put that time in and that work, they're going to find somebody else who will. Yeah, well, yeah. I'd love to know what her job is. Did she say? Because to me, this just this I think is she's all... just a social media. Like, oh, of and, I mean, I so that look, it's bare minimum Monday for her. It's going to turn into try less Tuesday, and then work out Wednesday, and then you know throw away Thursday. <laughs> I mean, it's like that's the trend. It's not like like Jeff, you're saying okay, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to really kill this trend. From this article, is just I don't want to work. Because I'm too stressed. It stresses me out too much to have to like do a job. That's how I. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting mad. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I just I feel like the workforce would be better fit if people adopted a a, a, a mentality of yeah, like Mondays don't have to be crush you Monday. You come in and it's maybe an easier day and preparing yourself for the week to set you up to have a. A strong week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, but then are we where Mike is in five years? Like, probably. Well, then we've taken it too easy on Monday, and now Tuesday's too too tough. I, I guess part of me comes from that, like, nobody's job should be so consuming that you, and it gets back to what you said, like, that you experience this need to not do it well or not do it to the extent that, that you should. Like, it just feels... No one's job's that important. Yeah, and and um, one of the examples she uses is like I don't, I, I turn off technology. I don't, I don't look at emails for like whatever a couple hours, whatever it is. And I think we've talked about this before, but like I know, like I, I don't turn off. I mean, this is just me. No, not everybody has to do this. On every weekend, I'm like doing some stuff. Like I don't, I don't roll in on any day or after a vacation even with like. Email after email after email that I had to dig out from. I just never have done that. I don't, I would never want to face that. The, you know, then I would have the Sunday scaries. You know, I just like kind of do it. I do something every day. I do something every day. Like, and, and sometimes it's not that much. So sometimes it's a lot, but I don't. And people don't would argue that because I, I do the same thing you do. Saturdays, I check my yeah. work email. Sundays, I check my work email. I deal with stuff that are kind of like the little things that I can deal with without kind of, they're not day ruiners. And But the, the argument to what we do is you may read an email that's a day ruiner. Well, I'll take that because most weeks I handle stuff over the weekend so I don't run in on Monday crushed exactly. with stuff. Right. So if 50 weeks out of the year I handle things in stride and two of those weeks during the year I have a, a, a weekend ruiner because a client sent me an email like furious about okay that's just the way i handle it i I kind of i do what you do i handle work over the weekend i'm not working nine to five on the weekend yeah i'm maybe putting in i don't know an hour on saturday an hour on sunday between checking emails and responding to people maybe doing a little a, a couple things here and there but that's effective because then i don't come in on monday with 60 emails yeah yeah I don't know. I, I guess maybe we're just in the unique situation where we have a lot more control over that and a control over all of it than than maybe other people do. Like, what if you're a hand model? How do you take? How do you like have like a? Oh my god! A Monday. When, okay, when let's you stop have to... thinking about the like very unique professions that you've presented. Let's just, you know, the 
the I don't know cubicle employee who goes to work nine to five reports to a manager who reports to another manager who reports to another manager right like let's think like corporate 101 isn't every day bare minimum there (laughs) i I, that's that's who the this that's who feels this people who maybe work in jobs where there's not a lot of opportunity they're they're in a monotonous groundhog day routine and this is how they cope. Here's my formal opinion on it then. If we're looking at it that way, what we've already said, you can, you can do bare minimum Monday and it's going to turn into, I need, to, I need yeah. a bare minimum Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So just suck it up, go to your nine to five, punch in, punch out, go home. And if you don't like that, find another job. Do something about it. Yeah. That's where I shake out on That's it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if she didn't spend all her day on TikTok, she could get her work done. Some TikTok creators make a lot of money. All right. All right. I know you hate the phrase TikTok creator, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Want to move on? Yeah. Sure. Top five crime movies that are not mob related. And so by crime, you're saying like we are saying that crime needs to be like a, a significant element of the movie. Right? Sure. Yes. yes. Got it. <laughs> Who wants to go for um, I'll go because I, lo- I love you. Them. Love yeah. yours. Right. Okay, we'll start okay. off strong. <clears throat> Number one, I have seven. <sighs> Thought of that on my list. Okay. The, 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 I don't think the rest of mine will be on your list. Number okay. two, I have Heat. Okay. Great movie. Val Kilmer, Pacino, De Niro. They rob a bank. Remember? Yeah, and I only saw that for the first time. Like. During COVID. Really? Yeah. It was a great yeah. movie. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Like the, the robbery scene was one of the best cinema, cinematic scenes in movies. Cool. Uh, <laughs> number four, I have Stand By Me. Okay. The entire movie, they're mm. walking through the woods to go see a dead body. Yeah. The kid was killed. He, he got hit by a train. There was no crime. Ooh. Maybe I... All right. All right. He got hit by a train. You yes. sure? Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, number four, I have Boys in the Hood. Oh. <laughs> All right. You should have. Jeff uses Boys in the Hood. Yeah, once I would every too. Other <laughs> Everyone <five>. should. <laughs> and then my fifth is Pretty Woman. Oh, She's a prostitute. A crime. Is it still? Yeah, dude. Prostitution's still a crime. Right. That's a good one. Do you want to go? I'll go because I, right. I don't think mine are very right. good. Um. You took one of them off my list. I'm going to go with Point Break. That's a good one. Yeah. Bank yeah. Heist. Yeah. Yep. I'm also going to go with a awesome movie. Maggie probably haven't seen it. Fargo. I don't. Fargo's oh, a good I don't one. have it on my list. I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I've got, I've got um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Which one? The, the first? The first one. Okay. Yeah, good yeah, one. Yeah. I've got like... Ocean's Eleven, just a good old fashioned casino heist, yeah, kind of yeah, fun. That almost made my list. <laughs> mm-hmm. God. Um, and then I have this is also like one that I try to work in all the time because it's so great. <laughs> True Romance. Remember? Oh, uh, it's mob There's, related, isn't it? No, no. Are you um, sure? No, he 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 accidentally steals a suitcase of cocaine from mm. Gary Oldman's character. Yeah, but then who and there's was, some mur- there's murdering going on. Yeah, in a lot of killing. Was, um, what was uh, gosh, what's his name? John Voight, right? 
No, oh, you talking about Christopher Walken? Yeah, Christopher Walken wasn't he connected to the drugs at some level? Yeah, but I don't know that. I don't know that you would say that it's mob related crimes. I, I thought about it. Yeah, I, I ruled it out because I thought okay. Christopher Walken was mob related. So I have the town, which is another bank heist. Yeah, is that mob related? So that's though? like I w- I was struggling with like uh, mob and group. Like even if it wasn't the mob, like it was a it, it, the town's not. But it is a group of bank robbers. But you both use no. That's bank fine. Robbers. It's a group of bank robbers. They're not. They're not mobs. It's not, they're it's not, not gangs. organized crime related, right? It's not organized crime. Yeah. Okay. But they're like kind of gangs. Was Boys in the Hood? Were they gangs? Were they? That's yeah, they were blood. Like, yeah, like that's, were they Crips? Were they officially Crips versus Bloods? Well, I don't know. They if you weren't. have to have an official gang name to be a gang. Do you? I think so. <laughs> so we're not a gang. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have the town. I have knives out. Okay, that's a good one. Which I didn't know if it would count because you don't it's a know. Netflix series? No, because you didn't know it was a crime necessarily. It counts. The, the okay. entire movie's around the crime that was committed. Right, right, ultimately. Okay. And then I had seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mystic River. Ooh, that's a good one. The daughter dies. I'm trying to figure you out. You didn't see Mystic River? I don't know if I have. Oh, so, it's good. Yeah. Um, and then Aaron Brockovich. We both went Julia Roberts. I've never oh. seen Aaron Brockovich. It's good. Okay. The crime is like um, a company. What's the word? Poisoned a water system of a town. Of a town. Are you done? Yeah. I thought for sure one of you would have had Heather's on your list. Never seen it. I thought you were too young for it. I thought Mike might have nah. threw it on there. Okay. All right. I liked that top five. I'm sorry you guys said you struggled with it. It went better than I expected. There's You're just so good. many. Yeah. There's so many. I mean, There's a lot. Crime is a kind of a main theme in almost in many, many movies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.